Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 97. Today we spoke to David Carey, pro-Irish golfer who scored a history-making record low score 57 on the PGA Tour and member of Team Ireland Golf. Ireland has just come out of lockdown. Irish golf courses are open again. We felt it was fitting to release this episode now with a young golfer who we will be keeping a close eye on in the future. David has his mindset on winning multiple majors. In today's conversation, we speak about training, preparation, golfer's mindset, swing speed, distance, and other technical pieces to the game. It's fascinating to hear David talk about practice versus match play and who he admires on the pro circuit and why. Of course, we dig into the story of when David shot 50 57 on the tour and what that felt like. In golf, we lose more than we win, even Tiger. So control what you can control. This comes through profoundly in this dialogue. Enjoy it. And thanks for speaking with us, David. Special mention to a close friend, Porg Lynch, host of the excellent Paddy Talks Golf Podcast. Give him a follow. David Carey, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Uh, Very good, thank you. No problem. And where is home for you, David? Dublin. Would like to have somewhere a little bit warmer as my permanent base, but you know, actually managed to just get away for for a week or two now. I'm down in Portugal just at the moment. A friend of mine was kind enough to let me stay with him in his apartment, so I'm, I'm lucky enough to get a little bit of practice in in some warmer climates. So look, obviously, David, you you know you're synonymous with the game name of golf, really the game of golf. When did it all start for you? When did you you know? Pick up, pick up a stick and see if you could hit a ball off the grass. Oh, I had um, I had little plastic clubs. I don't know what age I would have been, two, three, four, sometime around then. I would have been hitting little plastic balls around the kitchen and around the house, and that kind of progressed <laughs> from there, really. And was there was there anyone that kind of nearly pushed you into it? Was it was it from your from your family? Was it from friends? Kind of what made you go towards golf as the sport you wanted to focus on? Um, well, my um, my dad and my uncle would have played golf, but I suppose when I was up till when I was maybe nine or ten, I would have played a lot of uh, a lot of football as well. Um, and then it was only really then after that when I got to kind of eleven or twelve, I started kind of choosing golf as my main sport over over football. After that choice, then what were the tournaments that you were entering? What's what sort of stage were you competing at? I think the first, I suppose you call it bigger event I would have played would have been the Leinster under 13 series. That was in, um, that was actually in Carton House on the Amira course. Um, that got me on my first, uh, Leinster panel, um, with Shane O'Grady, who's, who's still my coach today. And kind of from there, it just progressed, progressed on from there to playing the under 15 events, then representing Leinster under 15s and Irish panels representing Ireland and on and on. David, what was it about the game of golf that kind of drew you to it as you, you know, as you were in those teens and kind of, you know, playing in Carton House, lovely setup. What was it about that game that made it the one that you wanted to really focus on going forward? Um, I, I quite enjoyed the, the individual aspect of golf 
football and team sports, you're quite reliant on other, on other people and how other people play and how other people do. And I know one of the reasons I chose golf was, was, on, was only so many times I could run up and down, up and down the line. I was a, a left winger and up and down and up and down and see someone else lose the ball or, you know, get a bit frustrated. And at least with golf, if, if I perform well or if I don't perform well, it's on me and you take the, the responsibility for how things turn turn out so it, it really gives you that individual sense of accomplishment as well so you've gone on and your career is starting to blossom you're doing really well at the moment you've recently been supported by golf ireland and you're on the team this year do you want to tell us a bit about that yeah first year in tier Ireland hasn't quite gone as i would have imagined if you had asked me in in january but um <laughs> yeah. uh, there's obviously been some challenges but it's great to have the support from from the sports council and um everything comes with that and hopefully now next year things can get somewhat towards normal and can start making a bit of use of the the starts and everything that comes with that david just to build off that when you're saying what comes with that like the fact that you're now kind of supported with golf ireland what do you what do you get with that from a personnel from a kind of support background that Makes a bit makes it a bit different than if this was two years ago. I suppose the two main things for me personally are well the funding. I mean funding is always helpful. Um, golf is an expensive sport to to travel around Europe and and further afield than that. And you know when it takes a little bit of the financial pressure off, that always helps. And then the other big thing is then starts. Team Ireland do a great job in getting us, you know, into different challenge tour events and giving us opportunities to play some bigger events. So, um, you know, you just hope that you can get them to coincide with a run of good form. And I mean, you never know what, what can happen. We saw Shane Larry not all that long ago winning the Irish Open as an amateur and his career has gone pretty well since then. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on the fact that bombing up and down on the left wing wasn't, wasn't for you and it was more the... <laughs> Yeah, all the footballers have switched off at this point. No, it, was all, it was more the, I suppose, the individual, the, the accountability piece. You know, you, you are your own challenge, really, with golf. The mindset of a golfer has to be so mentally strong and resilient because you know, you're only focusing on one shot at a time and it's a good shot or it's a bad shot. What, what's that whole, I suppose, self-talk piece for you as you go around the course? I suppose golf's a very interesting sport in that, I mean, even the best players, the actual kind of win percentage is always going to be a lot, a lot lower than, than your lose percentage. Even the like Tiger or whoever you want to pick at their best, they were losing more than they were winning. So I think you always have to just be very focused on things that are in your control. You know, did you do your preparation right? Did you... Did you approach it in the right way mentally? And then just kind of making sure that on every, whether it's around the golf or a shot or, or a season that you just did the very best you could and tried to give yourself the best opportunities. I think if you get too caught up in focusing on the result, that again can be the result of an individual shot or a pot or, or a tournament, then, um, it can be, it could be quite hard and quite draining mentally. You said preparation and preparing for these setbacks and the losing scorecard, maybe. What sort of practices do you put in place? Do you do anything in terms of visualization or anything, any mental practices to prepare for it? I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with a couple different 
psychologists or sports psychologists over the years and I'm actually qualified in uh, coaching Carl Morris's Mind Factor. I did that, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago now. I think it's impossible not to maybe an evening before a final round or something, it's impossible not to think about what's going to happen the next day. So rather than, you know, kind of trying to tell yourself, oh, don't think about that, don't think about winning or anything that, like you said, it's you're better off visualizing what do I want to happen, taking taking that little bit of time. I, normally I do it, I go to bed in the evening and just have a, maybe have an hour to myself before I actually go to sleep um, away from, I mean, if I'm traveling with others or whatever it is. And you can just take that time to, you know, just picture how they like things to go. Um, you know, what's kind of the best case scenario or, and just kind of, you just go from there. David, like for you at, at your level of golf, <laughs> a lot better than the two of us here. Um, although I'm better than Kiran. Um, <laughs> where does it come when you're at your level striving the balance between practice you know, be that on a range, be that just just chipping or you know putting green versus play. Kind of, what's the week to week look like in terms of mixing the two? That's interesting because it really does change a lot depending on at what time of the year it is. If it's in the middle of an off season like it is now, um, I'll go through patches where kind of playing really will take a backseat. You're going to be focusing on it might be a technical thing or. I mean, a hot topic at the moment, it might be speed work and trying to gain distance or whatever it is, you might take a little bit of time away and decide, right, the the scores or how I'm actually, you know, playing on the golf course can kind of, that can take a little bit of a break for a moment because I need to, I'm working on my grip, I'm working on whichever aspect it is. Once it comes around to say, if if things were progressing, like, like uh, hopefully next year to get back to kind of a bit more normal. Once it comes January, February, I'd start playing maybe a few smaller events, giving yourself that competitive practice to be a lot more playing, a lot more short game work, and then making sure that the scoring side and everything like that is is kind of working well. You just have to, you, it's it's just really trying to get yourself to peak at the right times. I mean, there's no point playing loads of golf in December and shooting eight, nine, ten, eleven unders and taking ten or twenty year off 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 your mates and going, oh yeah, I'm playing great golf. It doesn't really. Uh, doesn't really benefit you all that much <laughs> and and david when you're practicing yeah is it you know, obviously the seasonal point comes into play are you nearly always practicing a certain battery of fundamentals you mean you touched on grip there or is it or does it drastically change like you're also touching on speed and maybe you're using x y and z for trying to drive it like Deshambo. Or, you know, where is that mix between always working on the same three or four things all the time? Or is it very much dependent nearly like the seasons? Um, I have I've quite a good understanding of what makes my swing work. Um, you know, what happens when it goes off at this stage and between myself and uh, and Shane O'Grady, my coach. Normally, if things go off, there's only it's always the same one or two things. So between us, we keep an eye on them. A lot of my work, I use a, a GC quad, a, lot, a launch monitor. I'll do a lot of work on on kind of distance control and hitting my numbers. I suppose an example would be I know that on a given day, I want my pitching wedge to come out with 128 miles an hour ball speed, which should equate to 160 yards carry. That's kind of, that's my stock number. So I'd spend a lot of time just kind of dialing in 
that shot and then working in one, say, taking 10 yards off, draws, fades. I'd, I'd spend a lot of time just making sure that when I make X ring that, that I do get the, the outcome that I'm expecting. Very good. And building off that, off the course, are you undertaking any strength and conditioning training, gym training, looking at maybe rotational power or your trunk strength or anything? I'm lucky in that I'm naturally quite flexible um, and I've always hit a long way and especially after the lock, last lockdown I put on a little bit of extra speed so I'm hitting a really long way now that uh, I've never had a need to go overboard in the gym or on strength training so mo- most of my kind of off course work would be more more based around flexibility than anything like that. And what's what do you think has really made the difference for you maybe from in terms of accelerating your career from you know getting into that Leinster setup and obviously to where you are now obviously playing a bit better practicing more having your coach more in tune with the game and maybe where you want to go what's really been the differentiator over those you know not you know the 10-year period eight-year period something like that I think it's it's really the experience and the understanding of my own game there's a progression in golf at the beginning where you need a coach to tell you what to do and, you know, why things go wrong. And, you know, you hit the ball left, why did it go left or, you know, anything like that. And the more you play and the, the more I've practiced, uh, you build up that kind of database of of the whys. Why does that work? It's not always the why it doesn't work. It's why am I actually playing well or why why do things work or what's the best way for me to practice or how much should I practice? It's just that general build-up of knowledge, I think. It was about two years ago I made some major swing changes based off Ben Hogan's book, uh, The Five Lessons. And just even that, just finding that was great for me because, I mean, it's, there's only, it was only maybe two or three things in it that were really that different to what I was already doing. But Sometimes you just get that kind of light bulb moment of, aha, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then for me, once I understand something, then then you're never going to forget it because and that, that's the main thing, knowing why it works. I suppose so even the reassurance that some of the things you were doing were what Ben Hogan was doing, who had a pretty nice swing. So that gives you confidence in a way as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. That kind of, um, like you said, when, when figuring out that, oh, yeah, that's actually good. That you know, It's great to have that inner confidence as well. Yeah, the, the importance of building your own game is huge and focusing on your own swing and your own natural abilities. But has there been anyone you've looked at that you kind of said, I'd like to model my game off or maybe seen as a role model in terms of the sport? Again, I'm, I'm a massive Hogan fan. If we go back even a bit further to, to Bobby Jones, um, he's a brilliant role model for for the way he went about things as well. Obviously, the likes of uh, uh, Mr. Nicklaus and uh, Arnold Palmer as well, they're both, I mean, on and off the course, they, they set a great example for how things should be. I mean, we look at Rory as well. I mean, you could do a lot worse than, than follow the way than the way he goes about his business as well. He um, he sets a really good example for, for kids growing up today and I'll never forget uh, last or last year after just after just after Shane had won the Open, uh, Shane Lowry, this is um, himself and his coach uh, Neil Manship were walking through the car park in Carton House, and I was just going out for a few holes, and Shane turns to me and just has a chat to me, you know, 
from playing much am I going out to play this and that you know uh, just, just like any other member or any other golfer in the car park and walking away thinking this guy just won the Open last week you know he doesn't have to be talking to me or asking me how I'm getting on so just just seeing things like that and seeing you know these guys at the top they're just normal people as well they're just going about they're going about their lives or just doing the same things everything that comes with it that's 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 the way it should be and that, that's what I like to see yeah David, a question I've always asked is, um, I was recently down in Adair, um, mm-hmm. a nice place that Mr. JP has worked on there and revamped for the Ryder Cup. Um, shout out to Limerick. What is it that the caddy brings to the table for a player? I mean, professional players, really good golfers, um, obviously get coaching. You, know, you have your coach and you go out and you have your caddy but you've been playing for so long since you were two at such a high level and know so much already about your physical and mental game. What is it that that caddy really gives you when you're out playing a round of golf? Well, I, I don't always have a caddy given the, again, the costs with, you know, playing all around, all around the world really. Um, and the prize funds you play at, until you get to the bigger tours, it doesn't always make financial sense to bring someone with you. Um, but definitely any time there's an event in Ireland or a little bit closer to home anyways. I mean, I've had I've, I've had a couple professional caddies do a week or two with me. Um, at the moment, I lean towards just having just having a friend on the bag. Um, uh, Dara Flynn, one, one of my better mates from Carton House, he, he's come out and done a little bit for me. For me, like you said, you you really do know your own game quite well when you play as much golf as well as, as I do anyways and as much practice so a lot of the time it's just to have just to have a friendly voice and someone to, to carry the bag and just to chat to and you know and you get I mean he carried for me out in Egypt actually one of the one of the rare occasions I brought someone that far away um, <laughs> and we I had a runner-up finish to to Matt Wallace actually who's who's had a pretty good run since then but um just coming down the stretch just to just just someone that you know is in your corner and that you can chat about things that aren't to do with golf you know you're talking about i know the united match and how poor it is to lose one nil to arsenal and how funny roy Keane was afterwards things like that <laughs> <laughs> we're both united fans here now david so not we that, weren't talking about it this morning <laughs> no that was a bit painful <laughs> And then I think we both know the answer to this one, but what's been your favorite memory on the golf course? This is a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the 57 is obviously up near the top of the list. And, uh, and of course, the playoff win and everything to do with that week, it was, it was pretty special. That was my first professional win. And I mean, I think even when you're daydreaming about how it's going to go, I think that that exceeded all expectations, really. Why did why did that happen? Like, what led to you playing that well? I mean, in in the run up to to that event, I mean, my practice had been going really well, and in a lot of work, I'd I'd really started kind of. It was maybe that that was that was the start of September. From really the from May of last year, I'd really started to kind of get into my stride of things starting to go my way. And the only missing piece really had been I hadn't really made as many putts as I as I would have liked. And um, I mean that there, I think I nearly made every one of them 
I nearly made a season's worth that day. So, you know, little things like that. <laughs> so sometimes I guess it's just when all the preparation, all the practice comes together, some, sometimes you get a little bit of magic like that just happens on one day. Yeah, like we often we often hear, you know, success leaves clues. So it's it's interesting to hear that, you know, there was a couple of things. It was kind of an accumulation of good things that were happening. So therefore, when you when you played so well, it wasn't necessarily a huge surprise to you because you knew you were in a good space to perform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was actually very funny for me because um, the guys, the two guys I played with, uh, one was from. Italy and one was from uh, France they were telling me that they'd played with the guy who won the year before around the same course and you know as we're walking up to the first couple of holes they're telling me about how well this guy putted and he made everything he looked at and it was just the most amazing thing and they're telling me all these different things oh and this hole he made from over there and as we're going along I've made a 20 footer then I've made another pot and I've made another birdie and I'm not sure they even realized that they kept telling me about how guy how good this guy had played and I was kind of doing the same if not better so it was <laughs> it was quite it was quite funny to be in that scenario. Yeah yeah that's um, cool. There's a queue of people trying to play with them lads next year now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, the name of those lads what was he saying? <laughs> how do we get a phone number? I know they they've uh, they've actually I'm not sure I must I must uh, message one of them and see um I unfortunately didn't get to travel back to defend my title with everything that happened, but I must actually check and see if either of them had played with, with this year's winner. It would be very funny yeah, if they had, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, 57, Jim Furyk was the a 58 on the PGA Tour. You're the first person to do it as, on a professional tour. Going forward after that, did, was it, did it feel like a sense of relief that you maybe have gotten to the next stage, I've done something that I felt I was capable of, or did it feel like there was an expectation on yourself then to perform at that, maybe not that, at that level, but something similar? Um, for me, it was really just, I mean, it was a massive confidence boost, obviously, but it was more validation of, of the hard work I'd put in. Um, and my thoughts straight away, um, I mean, I brought down the trophy to Shane and uh, I know uh, one of the kids he coaches was there and, you know, taking some photos and stuff. So there was, there was some cool moments like that. but. It was kind of back down to work and getting ready for the next event. Um, I went over to to Gainsborough to um, to the ping factory over there. Uh, Jeff, who's worked with my clubs with me now for a good few years, and um, we one of the first things to do was actually change out my driver and change out my tree wood and change a few little things like that. And then the following week, then was was Q School, um, the first stage in Bagogno in Italy, and. Uh, I shot 66, 61 in the first two rounds to be 17 under and qualified in first place on 24 under for the week. So it really just the, the kind of the momentum. I just kind of kept kept riding that that wave all through that week as well. It was it was quite fun to go from having you know no no wins to having two back to back. That's that's kind of uh, it kind of extended out the the joy, I suppose. And and how much was that in your head, or was it? just happening was it was it the technical stuff or was it or was it just you were in the flow you weren't thinking about it like in your approach to every shot you're putting across amazing scores like what what happened what made that happen well once you get into that i I mean there's all these different descriptions you know kind of flow state or you know you can put any terminology on it that you like but 
you just get in that zone where things are going your way and certainly one thing I've learned through pro golf is when things start going well you know you don't get defensive you keep your foot down and you try you try push that score as low as you can so with once you had that little bit of confidence um I mean I just kept kept after it and you know I kept making pots kept hitting good shots and you kind of it, it's 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 kind of a little bit surreal I suppose you just kind of get to a point where you're kind of going oh I made under and then you tick off up oh, there's nine there's ten there's eleven and you know, I you know, the bad thoughts or what could go wrong doesn't even enter your head. All, all you're thinking about is I'm going to go as low as I can today, and and you tee up the next day, and you're thinking I'm going to try go low again, and it's just, it's like I said already. I think it's really just when when all the preparation comes together and and you get a bit of form and things start going your way, just sometimes things click and and good things happen at the end of it. You had a pretty good start to this year as well. I think you were tied for it in Portugal Pro. Um, what were the targets or the the goals you may have set then? Obviously, the, the year was a bit derailed given the pandemic, but what was the targets that you'd originally set for yourself? Yeah, yeah, I got off to quite a good start. Yeah, I played I played three Portugal Tour events and had an eight, a fourth, and a second. Um, actually, I had another round of 11 under in uh, in Victoria Golf Club, which is a Portugal Tour record. That was my third event of the year. Um, so, you know, really the, you know, that, that run of form or wave or whatever you want to call it from last year, it just really kind of kept going. Um, I'd worked really hard for kind of January, February time. Um, I suppose that was another benefit of Team Ireland. We got uh, two weeks down at, uh, at Quinta de Lago in, in Portugal, two weeks there. They'd covered a hotel and organized that we could, uh, could use the practice areas and stuff so I kind of really put those two weeks to use and you know it was really exciting times I was just looking towards you know hopefully I was going to get five six seven different challenge to start and thinking if I can just you know just carry this form over into them you know go win one or two of them and then you know all I was thinking was trying to win every event I could I was I could play in and enter um, and then unfortunately things did get a little bit derailed but as much as that's kind of a hardship and a bit of a disappointment that I didn't get to play as much competitive golf this year as I would have liked to, um, it has brought opportunities as well. Um, I've managed to work on a lot of things I may not have had time to, and ultimately I think I'm I'm an even better player now than I was at the start of the year, so I'm really excited for how next year is going to go. Nice. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you, Dave. And... Um... In terms of your game as it evolves, you know, as you, you know, all great finishes there in Portugal and obviously setting records, that's given you a bank of confidence moving forward when, when the time is right. Are there players out there in the world that you, you model your game on? Like, do you take, do you take some, some play from one player and from another player? Or is it, or is it David Carey, this is my game, I've worked on it myself over the last 15 years? Um, well, I think everyone's keeping a close eye on what uh, what Bryson's doing at the moment. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it, it wouldn't be correct. I suppose to say I'm modelling my game on what he's doing, but I'm certainly keeping a close eye. I mean, I've I've started using Jumbo Max grips, which are kind of the bigger grips that he uses, and I certainly think when you see someone that's kind of making a bit of a splash and maybe kind of pushing the norms, it's certainly a good idea to have a little look and thought and see, well, why is that working for him? Or 
is there something I can take from his game? Um, I mean, it's the same with, with anybody. You look at guys with great short games, like sort of, you know, Phil Mickelson, of course, Harrington always had a great short game, Luke Donald, people like that. Like that yeah. you, you're going to look at, well, how does he play a certain shot or something? And, you know, is there something I can learn from what they do technically or mentally or from an equipment point of view or anything? So you're always trying to learn from other guys, but at the end of the day, it's still, you know, it's still my swing and my technique and I'm, I'm still approaching the game in the in a very similar way that to, to you know six months or 12 months ago i still have my own set of goals for what i'm trying to achieve technically that are being worked towards and what would someone like dustin johnson or justin thomas or any of these guys maybe take from you what would they look in your game maybe and they're watching as a spectator on the sidelines when you come up to the 18th is there something from your game that maybe sets you apart a little bit well, at the moment, I, I hit the ball very, very far for someone of my size. Um, I mean, at the I've I'm kind of I keep I'm keep kind of trying to push it higher and higher, but you know I'm getting towards the mid to high 190s ball speeds now, which is not a mile off Bryson, but I mean I'm only five foot nine and like mid 150s pounds weight, so I'm I'm quite small compared to some some guys out there. I'm not you know six foot four or not like DJ, a really big guy who's just, you know, so gifted athletically. So I suppose maybe there's something that they could take from how I move or something to get the most out of my my body type. I mean, Justin Thomas does a great job of that as well. Um, but in saying all that, the best part of my game has always been short game, chipping and putting. So, um, I mean, I, I'd love to think that someone could look at my game like one of those guys and learn something. That'd be that'd be a great compliment. But I don't know. We'll see one day. Hopefully I get the chance to play against them directly and hopefully win as well. Exactly. That's it. In time. In time. And then looking forward in terms of your own game, is there anything in particular that you feel might be a challenge going back from not being on course, not being you know in tournaments that you'll have to sort of account for going back into competitive play when we get back um, golfing again? Um. Well, the thing is, when you, when you work on something new, whether that be putting in a new piece of equipment or a new move or whatever the case uh, may be, you never really know it works until you stress test it in a proper competitive environment. That's really the, you know, that's the that's the real moment where you know what I'm doing works or doesn't. So. Having not played, now I mean, Team Ireland put on on a couple of what we had five one day events um, across the summer. I won the one in the K Club, uh, which was that was a nice nice little boost as well, just to just to see that I can still still win, having not played in in quite a while. But I mean, that's that was August now, so by the time January February comes around, it might have been. I mean, there was the Challenger event as well. But, I mean, we're talking about maybe six months since I would have last played a tournament. So there's definitely going to be a few nerves and a little bit of uncertainty around how things go. But that's where I really just have to fall back on that, what worked for me before in the past, and hopefully follow kind of similar patterns in my preparation and practice. And hopefully I'll see some good results like I have previously. Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing it. And 
David, just removing from, from your game for a minute, big picture, where do you see the sport going? What's the next big thing in golf besides what the golf scientist is doing? And we're all curious, obviously, with everything he's doing. But um, where do you see the game actually moving over the next five to ten years? Well, I suppose it's a big debate at the moment. And again, Bryson is kind of becoming the, the poster boy for this at the moment. But uh, the distance the ball is going is is being looked at. I mean, the RNA and the USGA have their, their distance insight study. Um, they've postponed it a, a couple times now with the with the pandemic. Um, it'll be very interesting to see which way to go about it. I mean, there's some pretty good arguments, I think, on the side of rolling the ball back a little bit from the point of view of, you know, conserving land and water and speeding up golf. There's, there's a, I can see a lot of reasons to do that. I know on the other side, there's a lot of people don't want things changed. I think that's going to be one of the big issues that's going to, going to come around. Which way it's going to go, I honestly have absolutely no idea, but it will be definitely fascinating to see which approach they take and whether if they do make changes, how will that affect pro golf? How will it affect amateur golf? Um, there's really just so many options there and so many poss- possibilities that it's really hard to know what will happen. I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but let's talk moonshot here. So what if you were 10 years into the future? What would be the most impactful or it meant the most to you in terms of a success or an achievement that you'd, you'd get to in 10 years' time? Best case scenario, I've won more than one major. That that'd be that'd be best case scenario. I mean, realistically, there's an awful lot of steps between where I am now and and that. But I mean, I'm going to work as hard as anyone, so nothing's impossible. But here, absolutely, DC would be like it's it's <laughs> JT, DJ, and DC here <laughs> going into the Royal Birthdale or wherever. Um, where where would be? Where's the course you really like to play, David, around Ireland? Where's your favourite? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, I, I'm lucky that I get, I've got to play the Ryder Cup course in the K-Club uh, quite a few times this year. Um, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Connor O'Rourke, uh, he's, he's been playing there quite a bit and I've gotten to go out there with him. So that's, that's always fun to play. They normally have it in really good condition. I always really enjoy playing carton, mainly because, I mean, so many of my the, my mates I grew up with are there. It's always fun to, you know, just go, just go out and have have a game away from the competitive environment and just, you know, see how they're getting on and how things are going. Um, I try to get back to the Hermitage Golf Club where I played a lot of my my golf as a kid. Uh, it's kind of a more of an old style, shorter, narrower parkland probably some of the best greens in the country that they'd be that that'd be some of the places and then I also have a fondness for the European club just because I I enjoy punishing myself and the challenge that that place that is (laughs) and David that's great and look last question from me is um I'm robbing a question from a good friend of mine Paddy Talks Paddy Lynch um shout out to you playing down in Kildare somewhere David, what would be your walk-on song? You're going out there playing on the eve of that first major win. What's the walk-on song for you going up to the first tee? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive Dead Mouse fan, so it's gonna it's it's gonna be something by him. I think the last time someone asked me this, I said, uh, "Raise your weapon." So I might switch it up this time. 
We'll go one trick pony for a change. Nice. We'll have to play that when this comes out, Dave. <laughs> uh, hopefully that doesn't make too many too many listeners turn off. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the footballers are already gone. Yeah, so. <laughs> We're whittling down the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> it's only five people now. <laughs> well, as long as we get one or two to the finish, that, that's a good result. Yeah. So the last question of the show today is one that we ask everybody that comes on. It's what does high performance mean to you, David Carey? Um, I think high performance is where you give it your maximum effort and you just see what happens. Well, look, you're somebody that seems to definitely be somebody giving a lot of effort. You've just touched on it there. No one's going to work harder for you. You know, we're really, the two of us here really thankfully came on, gave us your time. Um, you're a busy guy practicing. We're really looking forward to seeing where you go, what happens over the next couple of years. You've obviously started off really well. So just keep that upwards trajectory and we're both rooting for you. So thanks for joining us, David. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Uh, hopefully I have some more success and I can come on and tell you guys about it. Sounds good. With the claret jug. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt h-a-u-o-r-a life.com please rate review and share the podcast some people want it to happen some wish it would happen others make it happen the goat michael jordan